0: He forgives sinners. He discharges debtors. He delivers the captive. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He regards the age. He rewards the diligent. And he purifies the meek. I wonder if you know him. He's a key to knowledge. He's a well of wisdom. He's a doorway of deliverance. He's a pathway of peace. He's the roadway of righteousness. He's the highway of holiness. He's the gateway of glory. Do you know him? Well, his life is matchless. His goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His love never changes. His word is enough. His grace is sufficient. His reign is righteous. And his yoke is easy. And his burden is light. I could describe him to you, he's indescribable, he's incomprehensible, he's invincible, he's irresistible, well, you can't get him out of your mind, you see, you can't get him off of your head.
1: my king. Oh man, that that video gives me shivers every time I think, that's my king. And I wonder, do you know him today? Do you know him today? We are going to jump into an exciting, unexpected passage of scripture this morning. My name is Shane. I'm pastor here at First Baptist. If you're new, we're so glad you're here joining us this morning. And we are are going through the book of Mark. Before we do, I've got a a story for you about uh, unmet expectations. Unmet expectations. See, when I was a junior high boy, I was rather gullible, like most junior high boys. And I'll never forget, there was this uh, friend of mine named Sonny, and he came up to me the last day of school and he said, Shane, they just came up with a brand new kind of fruit, it's orange. And he handed it to me and he said, Shane, this is an incredible tasting fruit. I was like, okay, well I've never seen anything like this before, and he says, yeah, but to get the full effect, you gotta chomp that thing like a huge bite of it, you just gotta eat the whole thing right out the gate, and being the junior high boy that I was, what do you suppose I did? I jumped in, you know, both feet, and I took a big old bite of that thing and discovered for the first time this thing called a habanero. And my expectations when I bit into that thing are, hey, this sounds like a sweet fruit, and as I bit into it, it had a bit of a kick. And as I spent the, la- the next four hours puking and crying and trying to find anything that would give my tongue any kind of relief, I thought, this is not what I expected, this is not what I expected. You know, similar to that, when Jesus enters Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, when he came in and they began to sing, Hosanna, which means save us. pray It's a prayer of save us. When he came in, the people chanting that weren't going to get their expectations met because they wanted a king that was going to do for them what they wanted. But instead, his kick was in a different direction than they expected. And we're going to see that here today. If you turn Mark 11, we're going to jump right into Mark 11, starting in verse 1. I want to read this passage with you this morning. Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethphage, and to Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples. And he said to them, go into the village in front of you. And immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord has need of it, and it will, and will send it back here immediately. And they went away and found a colt tied at a door outside in the street, and they untied it. For those of you, a colt is simply a male donkey. A male donkey, um, a young male donkey. So let's continue, verse five. And some of those standing there said to them, what are you doing, untying the colt? And they told them that Jesus had said, what Jesus had said, and they let them go. And they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. And many spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches. You guys got the leafy branches? Hang them up in the air, shake them. And they had cut from the fields. And those who went before and those who had followed were shouting. Everybody say it with me. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father, David. Hosanna in the highest. And he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. I want to give you a picture here. This is the hill that Jesus walked down today. So if you look there in uh, in this picture, you're going to see the Temple Mount and the Dome of the Rock. So here's the Dome of the Rock there today. And so Jesus... When he walks down into Jerusalem, he basically walked down this hill and up into actually this gate right here. Sorry about my art. Okay, and so this is modern day. This is where it happened. Jesus is walking down this hill. And, uh, well, and so he's riding on this colt, and he has the disciples go and grab this colt. We're going to kind of go at this passage at a different uh, angle. We're going to start in reverse. So we're going to start with the cheers that the crowd made, and we're going to work back up to why the colt, okay? Can we do that this morning? We're going to go backwards. We're going to go in reverse of this passage. And so that's where we're going to start today. The reason for that is we think about all of the people who are there to greet and and they're shouting out this Hosanna. They're they're welcoming Jesus as a king into Jerusalem, as a king. Everybody say, king. King. How is it that in a few days' time, in a few days' time, Mark 15, 13 through 14, this is what they're going to say. Same people, same people. They're going to say, and they cried out again. What did they say? Crucify him. And Pilate said to them, why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, crucify him. Boy, that's a very different portrait from what we're seeing on Palm Sunday, isn't it? What happened in a week's time that they go, Hosanna. They welcome him with, as if he was some incredible king to then chanting, crucify him. I want to propose to you today that their expectations of what Jesus would be about were not met. And when people's expectations are not met, who has similar kind of fury than that? See, we're going through the book of Mark, and the book of Mark is all about who is Jesus. And this is an important passage about who is Jesus. And I got a question for you to think about. Is Jesus, is Jesus who we want him to be always? I think we want to say yes to that question. Every one of you were like, I want to say yes. But there's a part of you that's like, wait, maybe he isn't exactly what I want him to be. I've heard this from so many as I've shared the gospel of Jesus. They say, well, if I was the big man, I would have done things differently. Have you ever heard somebody say that to you? I've heard that often. I think a lot of times we have unfulfilled expectations about who Jesus is. And so that we know the whole book of Mark is trying to get us to answer the question of who is Jesus? Is he who we want him to be? Not all the the time, no. Not all the time, no, because he is who he is. I'm going to say that again, because Jesus is who he is. Would you guys agree that today there's a whole bunch of different kinds of Jesuses that culture has painted, that movies have portrayed, that stories have been written, whole false ideas and stories written about Jesus? Is he any one of those constructions? No, because he is who he is. This is not a popular concept in today's uh, relative truth era, right? Jesus is who he is, regardless of who we want him to be, who we try to say that he is. He is who he is. No one lies to you more than you lie to yourself about who Jesus is. Did you know that? We have that in scripture, that the heart of man is deceitful above all else and desperately wicked. So who is really good at lying to you? Raise your hand. We are all really good at lying to ourselves. And when we read scripture, when we begin to talk about Jesus, there's this sense that we're really good at twisting our own beliefs and thoughts about who Jesus is. That's why it's really important for us to understand, no matter what we want Jesus to be or what we want Jesus to be about, Jesus is who he is. And no matter what we try to say about him, that doesn't change who he is. And he, in this passage, is the upside-down king. The upside-down king. He does not do things like we would have done things. He had every power to march in there as a victorious king. I look at verses like Proverbs nineteen twenty-one. 21. It says, many are the plans in mind of a man, but it is the purposes of the Lord that will stand. Anybody have plans in here? How many of you at the end of your plans put dot, 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 whatever the Lord wills? It's a good habit to get into. James encourages us to do that. Well, we come into this high, this picture of high anticipation, high excitement. There's crowds. There's an energy in the air about what is going on. And we know that they start thinking, hey, this Messiah figure is coming into town. And there's many who are gathering and there's excitement in the air. Their palm trees are coming out and they're greeting Jesus as if he was a triumphant, incredible king. But he is not always who we want him to be. He came instead as a sacrificial lamb to the slaughter, not as a militant king. You see, the people that were there that day, what did they want? They wanted their oppressors taken care of. See, this day and age, there were these people called the Romans. And so the people there cheering Hosanna, what were they thinking? We have a political victor here. We have a king who's going to come in with a sword, and he's going to deliver us from our oppressors. But Jesus's itinerary was much different. And so they came in with all these kinds of expectation that he would be a militant king. And so for us, Jesus is who he is, not always who we want him to be. Not always who we want him to be. Because if you keep on reading in this passage in Mark, he's going to kind of appear all of a sudden kind of grumpy after this moment of welcoming, isn't he? He walks in and he curses a fig tree. Like, Jesus, you're cursing at plants. You seem kind of grumpy. What's going on? He goes into the, the temple and what does he do? Dude starts flipping tables. He gets upset he gets kind of grumpy. And I think it actually started here at the triumphal entry. You know why? Because he knew the hearts of the people saying, Hosanna. He knew the hearts of the people chanting and worshiping him as he walked in, thinking that he was going to be a king that was going to give them what they wanted. Instead, he was going to give them so much more, something that they wouldn't know to appreciate. See, most of us, When we get into our relationship with Jesus, it's really hard for us. And, And oftentimes when I talk about people's testimony, how many of you, I accepted Jesus into my heart. And that's kind of the phrase for how you received Christ. If you'll notice in Scripture, that phraseology is not in Scripture. It doesn't say, accept Jesus into my heart. And that's not a bad thing. Please hear me. Don't question your salvation when I say this. But what it does say, Romans 10, 9, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is... Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, it says you will be saved. There's very difference. There's a big difference in those two phrases. When you're asking Jesus into your heart, you're saying, Jesus, come and support what I want. I wanna feel good. I want what I want. And there's a real danger when you do that, walking into Christianity. Why? Because if you're cutting into Christianity and you're following Jesus to get what you want, you're gonna be Disappointed. But if you get into Jesus knowing that he is the Lord who has something far and beyond what you could think or imagine for you, and you make him Lord of your life, what does that mean? He's in charge. He really is king. You don't just sing it with the cool songs that we have on Sunday. You don't just say it, but you believe it and you live like he is the one in charge of your life. Man, that is a salvation that changes from the inside out. That was not the hearts of the people shouting Hosanna on this day. See, we reject Jesus as king when he doesn't do what we want him to do, don't we? Cancel culture of our culture, right? If something doesn't go the way we like or if somebody says something we don't like, what do we do? We try to pull the plug. See, they canceled Jesus, didn't they? Later on in this week. I always think about expectations and, and uh, it made me think as I humbly share this with you guys, um, Becky and I, when we had our first two miscarriages, our expectations were very high. We were expectant. We were expectant twice. And I remember we called, and as we saw that there were beginning to be problems, we began to call everybody to pray. And we sat, and we wept, and we prayed, and we asked the Lord for the outcome that we wanted. Because as I've shared with you before, sometimes Jesus says yes, Sometimes he says no, and sometimes he says not yet. And our expectations, we wondered, and a lot of times when you're in that scenario, you want to think, well, did he not answer because I did something wrong? That's not the case. Sometimes Jesus' answer is no, and we have to trust that that was the greatest good that he had for us, that we didn't have the full picture like he has, and we don't know. See, the option for us when we responded to our miscarriages was the option was now for us to trust what Jesus was doing is bigger and more important than us getting what we wanted. And that's a hard truth, isn't it? But that's why the scriptures say, pick up your cross and follow him. Because there's a sense where we trust. Our other option to that, and this is where many fall into, is to become bitter when Jesus doesn't answer with a yes. And we become bitter that we can't control God and we can't control the outcome It's important as I say that for us not to view God as some kind of cosmic bully or a chess player. Why? Because as Jesus is walking down and he knows the hearts of the people that he's looking at in Jerusalem, what does he do? He weeps over Jerusalem. See, our God is one who weeps with us when we are weeping. And I want to show you a picture here. This is a picture from what they call the Jesus wept. On that hill that I pointed out, there's a, a little... Like temple, a little uh, church or steeple. it's, it's called Jesus. Wept. Jesus looked over Jerusalem and wept over. Tell tradition says this is the, the vantage point when Jesus looked over Jerusalem and wept over her and wept over her. <sighs> he knew what had to happen almost out of necessity. He knows what is our greater good, but still weeps with us over our losses. Was Jesus pre- present with us as we mourned? Yeah. He weeps with us as he wept over Jerusalem. Second Corinthians 3:18. So I I think there's a lot of us that are encouraged in our walk with God to make Jesus more in our image instead of us in his image. Here's what I mean by that, 2 Corinthians 3.18, and we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed. So God's destination for you and for me as Christians is to be transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit, that image is that of Christ. From glory to glory in this life, God's trajectory for you is to become more and more and more like Jesus and made more and more like him. And so our experiences are geared for that. But many of us like to take what we want and our expectations of life, maybe it was our traditions, maybe it was how how we were raised, and we like to say Jesus supports this way of life. None of us do that, do we? In fact, the culture has made many images of Jesus in their own image, haven't they? (sighs) But God's ways are not our ways. That means we can't rest on what we know or how we've done it in the past or how we've seen it done, but we have to follow who? Our Lord. Because sometimes he's going to lead us into territory that's uncomfortable and is not always what we like. Because there's this sense that there's a part of us that has to die to self to follow Jesus. Despite their mistaken cheers, Jesus did not correct them in that moment. You ever notice Jesus knew their heart and he looks and he hops on the colt and he walks down. And notice it doesn't say what his facial expression. A lot of time you get in scripture and the gospels how Jesus is feeling or what he's thinking, right? It doesn't say that here. And I, I, think, I think you could read into this idea that Jesus knew the hearts of the people and where they would be at in a few days, cheering for his crucifixion. I think that what is an exciting day for us, growing up when I was in church, we'd get those palm leaves, man, and we'd shake those puppies, and it'd be an exciting day. I think it was a day of grieving for Jesus. I think as he walked in, he knew what he was walking into, and he didn't pause and correct them. So often, like with the Pharisees, you ever notice when he's addressing the Pharisees, is like, knows what they're thinking, and he starts to address them on what they're thinking? Man, it have been terrifying to be around Jesus. He knows what you're thinking. He knows what every one of these people are thinking. He knows their expectations for him. <clears throat> but he didn't turn and correct them like he does the Pharisee. I find this very interesting. He didn't correct them into mourning. He didn't correct them for their cheers. Why is that? Well, there's a principle in scripture. We read Matthew thirteen twenty-eight through 30. He said to them, and this is, uh, if you have your Bibles, Matthew 13, verses 28 through 30. He said to them, the enemy has done this. So it's a parable talking about an enemy coming in, sneaking into the crop and planting weeds in the crop. So the servant said to him, then do you want us to go and gather them up? Gather them? So he's talking about the weeds. Should we pull the weeds out now? But he said, no, lest in the gathering the weeds you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until harvest. And at the harvest time, I will tell tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. You see what Jesus is saying here? We live in a culture how many of you have ever just been like, man, when people take God's name in vain, you're just waiting for lightning. You're like, I'm just going to give my space. You know, why is it that we can live in such a culture that defiles the name of our God so easily? You ever wonder that? But you know, it's for your and my benefit because God doesn't want to harm what? The wheat along with the, the chaff Or the weeds. And so there's this sense that the reason God doesn't just come in, barreling in and protecting his namesake is because he knows that there are some that uh, still need to come to faith, those of us that would be harmed uh, if he did come in judgment before it was time. These would be the same people that called for Jesus' crucifixion. As soon as you say Jesus isn't, um, let me. Let me think about, and pastors have to be really careful on the following topic, are you ready? When it comes to politics, don't get up and leave, don't run, don't throw chairs. But there's this really important aspect that Jesus is not a political puppet. And his name, brothers and sisters, over the last four years have been thrown around by Christians, by politicians, as this kind of means to garner up support. And as soon as you say Jesus isn't for your political party, how quickly do you get canceled? And I I mean, and Jesus is an equal opportunity offender. So if you're on the left or the right or anywhere in between, if you're using Jesus for your political platform, you need to be very cautious because you are guilty of the same thing that the people shouting Hosanna on this day were guilty of. That counts for all political parties and ideologies. It makes me think of Joshua five thirteen. when Joshua, marching into the promised land, if you remember, he lifted up his eyes and looked and beheld a man was standing before him with his drawn sword in his hand. So Joshua was about to go in and conquer the promised land like God said, and Joshua went to him and said to him, and many of us, I think, do this to God, right? Are you for us or for our adversaries? And what was this man's response? He said, first of all, who is he? No. <laughs> he says, no. Wait, You're supposed to be for me. No, but I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshiped and said to him, what does, the Lord, my, the, what does my Lord say to his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take off your sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. I think, well, what was Joshua's response? My will goes out the window. My agenda gets laid at the feet of my God. It doesn't matter what I want anymore. It only matters what my Lord desires. This is hard Christianity. Are you guys okay? But this is true Christianity. This is true. There is this sense where the commander of the Lord's army said, no, I'm not for you and I'm not for your adversaries. I'm for the Lord God alone. And we need to remember carefully that that is still true today. He's for the Lord and his promises. See, the man can make his plans, can't he? But the purposes of the Lord will triumph. And Jesus is no one's political puppet. Why is this historically important? Why is this historically important? You guys heard of a guy named Hitler? Many of us. Did you ever read the history of what Hitler promised Germany, and more in particular, the German church, when he was rising to power? Did you know Hitler's promise to the German people was to make Germany a Christian nation. Did you know that? That should give us like goosebumps, kind of make us ill. In fact, let's read a text of Hitler's first speech. You won't hear this very often in sermons. This was his first speech to the German people as chancellor in which he is describing his vision for the future of Germany. How many of you would go rah-rah at this promise? Are you ready? The national government will therefore regard it as its first and supreme task to restore to the German people unity of mind and will. It will preserve and defend the foundations on which the strength of our nation rests. It will take under its firm protection Christianity as the basis of our morality and the family as the nucleus of our nation and our state. We have to be careful for who we cheer on. We have to be careful for who we support. If they're, flout, they're flouting out the name of Jesus, Hitler did that. And we know the evils that he committed. Jesus is not a political puppet. And so, Christians, we need to be cautious. Because somebody today says they support Jesus and his ideals does not make that true. We should never roll over to someone who promises to achieve things for Christ. What comes after those words should define our response. See, Jesus, after his triumphal entry, went to the temple and started cleaning it out. He then walked willingly to a cross, not for great fanfare, not because people were cheering his name, but to the insults of the crowd. That's a very different response, I think, than what people are looking for when they say, hey, I'm a Christian, vote for me, or hey, I'm a Christian, watch my channel, or watch what I produce as a Christian. See, hell hath no wrath like that of a people disappointed. And see, Jesus, I just keep thinking, he had to have had a heavy heart in this moment as he walked into Jerusalem. When he looked at Jerusalem at the temple, he cried and said, so this is a picture of that, where that temple is on that hill, or where that uh, chapel is where Jesus wept. And here's what the scriptures say, Luke nineteen forty-one through 44 says, and when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, would, you, would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that that make for peace but now they are hidden from your eyes for the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround and hem you on every side and tear down to the ground you and your children within you and they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation jesus wept over jerusalem because she was fooled by herself and she would miss the Lord and the Savior because he did not live up to their expectations. Brothers and sisters, we can't afford to make the same mistake today. So what do we do with these mistaken expectations that we know we all have? We look to the appropriate God-given promises of God. Amen? Doesn't Jesus, uh, Jesus doesn't correct the crowd, but seemingly he points to the promises of God. He does that, and I want to look at two. Uh, so second point here, Jesus knew their hearts, but didn't correct them. And then I want to look at two promises, two promises as we end. So we're working backwards. Now we're talking about the cult. Okay. So he came riding on a cult, um, cult, sorry, not you cult, not, um, cult, man, there's really not much distinction there. He came riding on a colt in humility. Why was this pertinent? Because Jesus wasn't coming in as a conquering king. He was coming in in humility. He was modeling for his people submission. And so we see a humble king riding in on a donkey. And you see this kind of humility continue to be modeled as he walks in because he's going to go to the garden. And in that garden, what does he say to the Lord? He says, not my will, but yours. What is he modeling for us? Submission to the Lord. He's modeling for us lordship. What does it mean for God to be in charge? Interesting to me that that is so different from how many of us would want Jesus to to stand up and proclaim, I have rights, and these are my rights. How many of you found yourself deep in your heart, like angry sometimes when your rights are threatened? Notice the submission that our Lord modeled for us. Not to stand up angrily when our rights are threatened, but to go willingly to the cross in submission. That, we don't like that, but that's what our Lord did. A community of radical sacrifice is what he is modeling for us. Oh, that would be the, oh, what would it look like if that was the mantra from Christian's lips? A radical death to self and a life to Christ. What if we laid down our will at the feet of our king? See, that is my king, the king of scriptures. So I want to finish today with reading what the promise was to these people at this time. And we know that was in Zechariah 9.9 that it said that there was this prophecy hundreds of years before Jesus came that he would, what, ride in on a colt. On a colt. So here, what, what Jesus, I believe, is pointing us to is he's trying to remind the crowd at the time By fulfilling these prophecies, what? Look to my promises. Cling to my promises. And if I haven't promised something to you, don't cling to that. At no point did God promise to overthrow the Romans on their behalf. That's my king. That's the scripture. So let's look at, I want to look at uh, Isaiah. I'm just going to read scripture because I believe scripture is God's power to save. And I could stand up here and preach and preach eloquently, but nothing can outdo the weight of God's word. So if you've got a Bible, turn to Isaiah 52. And this is the prophecy or one of the many prophecies or promises of God about the coming King Jesus. And I believe this is game changing. Again, this is hundreds of years before Jesus came. Isaiah 52, starting in verse 13. And I'm just going to read, so follow along with me. Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up, and shall be exalted, as many were astonished at you. His appearance was so marred beyond human semblance, and his form beyond that of children of mankind. So shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him, for that which has not been told them they see, and that which they have not heard they understand. And continues on in Isaiah 53. So who is this? This incredible person, we know it to be Jesus, starting in verse 1. Who has believed what he has heard from us, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he, talking about this Savior, this Messiah, for he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, and no beauty that we should desire him. But he was pierced, he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, we have turned everyone to his own way, to their own agenda, to our own agenda, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. We should say, amen. He was opposed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent. So he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And as for his generation who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people. And they made his grave with the wicked And with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence, there was no deceit in his mouth. I mean, I could keep reading through verse 12, but at this point, if you had read this and then you saw the ministry of Jesus, would you connect the two? They had this prophecy, this promise of God, and they missed it. Why? Because of their own expectations. Brothers and sisters, we have to cling to the promises of God and not to our own expectations. And as surely as this was fulfilled, so will the reigning king of Revelation be true. We have a promise of Jesus returning, amen? And we have this promise, and it's it's really pretty articulated about who Jesus really is in this second coming. It's so ironic to me that the initial prophecies were saying he was going to become in this humble state, he was going to be pierced for our transgression, he wasn't going to be liked by men, and they missed him. But what's the promise for us to look forward to? The reigning and incredible king in Revelations. I'm just gonna spend a minute, let's worship just from the description of Jesus in Revelation. I want you to close your eyes. I want you to just ponder and think about this description of Jesus from Revelation. They had the prophecy in Isaiah. We have the promise in Revelation in our day of a conquering king on a white horse. Of a conquering king, let this be our expectation of Jesus coming back. Let this be because it's out of Scripture and it's from God's Word. He is the faithful and true witness. He's the firstborn, for, firstborn from the dead. He's the ruler of kings of earth. This is all from Revelation. The one who loved us, He washed us and He made us kings and priests. It says that He's coming on the clouds. He has a voice of a trumpet and the Sound of many waters. His voice is like the sound of many waters. He is the Alpha and the Omega. He's the first and the last. He is in the midst of the seven lampstands. That's the church. He's the Son of Man. He's his head and his hair are white like wool, as white as snow, pure. His eyes are like flame of fire. His feet like fine brass refined in a furnace. He has in his right hand the seven stars. Out of his mouth comes a sharp two and sword. His countenance was like the sun shining. He who lives and was dead and will live forever. He has the keys to the kingdom. Amen. He's the key of David. He is the thief that will come in the night. He is coming quickly. He's referred to as the amen. The who is he's he who is holy. He's referred to, I'm gonna lose my voice, but hang in there with me. The lion of the tribe of Judah, he's the root of David. He's the lamb slain from the foundations of the world. He sits in the clouds with a golden crown, the one who will reap the earth with his sickle. He is omnipotent, he is omnipresent, he's omniscient. He judges and he makes war. He has a name that no one knows except for himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood. He is literally the word of God. He's the king of kings and he's the king of saints. He is our king and that is the promise, Lord, that we get to look forward to. That's the promise that we get to cling to. And so today... Let that be where your hope is in. Abandon, run away from your own agenda and cling to the feet of Jesus because there is no greater promise than the coming king. We should ask Jesus who he is instead of try to assume that he is who we want him to be. So what does that mean for us? Let go of your mistaken expectation of Jesus. And this means repentance for all of us, brothers and sisters, by clinging to the promises of God by clinging to the promises of God. For our small groups, and something to ask personally, what are your assumptions or hopes about Jesus that are not in the Bible? And what can we do to have a more accurate view of Jesus and his work in our lives? I'm going to invite Carol to come up, and she's just going to play a moment, and then we're going to go into uh, a time of communion where we remember our Lord. But I want you to just bow your heads and say, in dialogue with our King, And ask him, is there anything that I believe that is not true about you? And do labor with the Lord for a minute. And they're going to begin to hand out the elements. And as they do, I pray that you would ponder, do you believe in the true Jesus, the historical Jesus, and the biblical Jesus are all the same? He is who he is. And if you do, would you spend a minute remembering what it is that he accomplished for you? And I'm going to pray for you. Lord Jesus. As we take this communion together, God, and as we remember your sacrifice on our behalf, Lord, I pray that we would lay our expectations of this life, of our lives at your feet. This expectation of this next year, Lord, God, this expectation of what we are to accomplish in this life, God, I pray that we would lay it down at your feet and that, God, you would be our king. Lord, if there's any here who haven't made you their genuine king, Lord, I pray that today would be the day of their salvation. And I pray that as we remember you, God, that they would be pressed, God, to run to you today in Jesus' name.